Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, as we dive in, we're continuing in this series on generosity. And if you've read the stories of Jesus, you know, very much, or even if you've just been adjacent to the church and heard these stories, you're pretty familiar, or maybe you're fairly familiar with who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees. As a refresher, the Pharisees were very influential sect of Jews in the time of Christ, and they were known for their emphasis on personal piety, but also their teaching that the laws that Moses had provided in the Old Testament, the Old Testament laws, that all of those should be fulfilled. All 600 plus of the laws should be fulfilled in very specific ways. You know, this law that was given to the the nation of Israel in the Torah, these laws were given to this nation after they were escaped or after they were released or freed from 430 years of captivity in Egypt. 430 years. That's a long time to shape the identity of a people. Let that sink in. That's essentially the age of our nation, 1776 or whatever. Um, Every aspect of who you are and how you live has been affected by this experience of generations upon generations that have come before you. You might not even know all of those experiences, but they've all formed together to shape you cumulatively into who you are, into who we are as a nation. So imagine that being taken away in an instant. Imagine all of that changing in a flash, your home, your country, your routines, your rituals, all of it is gone. And you're in uncharted territory. You're in the wilderness like the nation of Israel was. And you're looking to redefine yourself, both as a person but as a people. So the laws of the Torah that were given to the nation of Israel were God's way of showing his people how to like reform themselves, how to become a new people, how to become a nation. Everything that Egypt had you know, kind of forced upon them, all the comforts actually that they had acquired during their time in Egypt were taken away. And God was saying, this is what it's like to be a nation after my, after my heart. Honestly, in many ways, the laws that God gave were his way of helping the people survive. I mean, this makes all those rules about hand washing and avoiding dead carcasses and all that kind of stuff make so much more sense. It wouldn't take much to wipe out an entire society, especially one who's like camping and living in the desert, right? Smiths, you guys just went camping. It's dirty. Imagine doing that for years and years and years. You know, anyway, you know, some 430 years after the law is given to the people of Israel, the Pharisees are still observing these laws down to the minute detail. Even in the midst of all the cultural and and conditional changes of the Jews, all the time, 
in the stories of Jesus, these Pharisees are, would, they'd pop up from here, from time to time, and they'd oppose Jesus. They'd oppose Jesus on something he was doing, some way he was behaving, some way he was speaking, and he would say, that, you know, they would say that that doesn't line up with the law of God. And Jesus seemed to have zero patience for these shenanigans. <laughs> you know, I think maybe he detected that it wasn't just about the law, it was about the heart. You know, he, he kind of reserved some of his choicest rebukes for these guys when they would pop up. And, and yet you would think that these Pharisees who were doing this good thing, that, you know, they had maybe reserved some right to be honored, to be adored for the ways that they were living in their lifestyle after God, right? After all, weren't the Pharisees like the gold standard of what it meant to follow all that God had said? At least in their opinion, they were. <laughs> but God had given Israel the law to obey, and the Pharisees approached obeying this law of God, or this word of God. You know, their approach to this was to process the law down into very achievable series of tick boxes that they could check off, right? Keep the ceremony, ceremonial and food laws, check. Worship at the temple and the synagogue, check. Tie the tenth of everything, even down to the herbs in the herb box in the window, like one leaf of basil for God, nine for me, check. They had mastered ticking the boxes, not unlike many who follow Jesus still today. You know, for so many followers of Christ, the life of faith devolves at times into a routine of going through the motions and ticking off the boxes. Obey the rules of the Bible, check. Go to church whenever the doors are open, check. Put a little money in the offering box here and there, check. Don't say the wrong words and do say the right words, check. Don't go here or there. Don't do this or that. Don't believe in this or that. Don't vote this way or that way. Check. You know, all of these things. Like the Pharisees, the life of faith all too often feels like keeping up appearances and simply keeping your nose clean. I'm speaking to myself here, you know, as a professional Christian, right? <laughs> there are a lot of things we do and a lot of ways we behave, which, you know, are kind of prescribed for us. You know, and this hits close to home. So you may be wondering, what's the point? We're talking about generosity. What's the point? Well, if we believe that the Christian life is largely about obeying commands and not doing anything wrong, then we fail to notice something that Jesus emphasized over and over in his teaching. In fact, it was central to what Jesus had to say. And this is simple. You've heard this so many times before. But according to Jesus, the whole point of life the life of Christ, the life of devotion with God, but specifically, even the Old Testament laws, the whole point of the Old Testament law and all the commandments was to teach Israel how to love God and how to love their neighbor. When Jesus commanded his disciples saying, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. It was a new commandment it, because it had a new motive and a new model to follow, Jesus' own sacrificial love. You know, but this command wasn't, you know, some out of the blue shift that Jesus was making. 
Love was exactly what the Old Testament law was always about. This scripture from Romans 13, let's look at this together. Romans 13, eight through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to our neighbor, to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You see the Pharisees where they fell short along with a lot of perhaps fundamental Christians still today. Where we fall short is missing the, the main point, missing Christ's heart. You know, the focus is so much on piety and taking off the boxes that compassion and love and all of the things that, outcome, that come out of it, like generosity, take a back seat to just observing the things, doing the things. Moreover, when you behave and, do, and are doing things in a particular manner, doing things right, when someone else isn't doing the right thing, you know, it's hard not to just see them as a giant, no, <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to be doing. It's hard to see people with the way Jesus did, you know, when all of our lives are based on a foundation of behaving in a certain way, when someone doesn't behave that way, it's offensive. In other words, those not living up to the standards that we hold and the specifications that we have chosen, we tend to dehumanize those people. In other words, it's okay to ignore them because they're so different than me anyway. You know, but ignoring someone can quickly turn into lots of other things. Hostility, frustration, anger, rage, all those things. You know, and as we talked about last week, this is kind of the sign of an inward-facing posture. When the heart is turned inward upon itself, generosity withers. When the heart is turned inward, generosity withers. Last week, we spoke about generosity in relation to God's generosity as demonstrated through Jesus. We focused on this mindset shift from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. That this is the foundation of generosity. And it's true. The beginning of generosity comes with this, this shift of mindset from scarcity to abundance. But the essential next step is the transition of the heart from an inward-focused heart to an outward-focused heart. And only through this shift can we begin to participate in generosity that would appear to some as, as sacrificial, to be truly generous with our resources and with ourselves. And that's really what we want to focus on today are, are these gifts of self, the generosity that we have in, in the intangibles, perhaps. Last week, we said that generosity is about so much more than money, but it's not about less than money. In other words, money is involved in generosity because it's essentially like the liquid form of God's blessing in our lives. It's a way that we can show the abundance that we have. 
But generosity really is about more than money. And we're going to focus on that today. So this morning, we hope to consider the outward-facing heart and gifts of self that we may generously share with others as we become abundant followers in Jesus in this practice of generosity. Sound all right? We on board? Before we dive into our passage for this morning, let's pray. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts. And let all other words slip away. May there be one voice that we listen to today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. Amen. Our scripture for today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I love this passage. We kind of used one of the verses last week, but let's hear this. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So anytime we read scripture, we aim to ask the Holy Spirit, who helps interpret scripture for us, what is the principle here? What, what, are, we, what are you teaching me? In other words, we're looking for what is the principle of love or Christ-likeness in this passage? And Paul makes it so easy. There's no like guesswork here. He spells it out. If you want to imitate Christ, to live in love, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty, empty conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You know, this is the shift of an inward, or perhaps you could even say a pharisaical heart, to an outward heart, as demonstrated through the posture of consistent generosity to others, in grace, in compassion, in openness. But surprisingly, we still have to fight against our tendency to turn inward. And it's hard to do what that says, to consider others better than ourselves at every point. I mean, how many of us are nailing that, right? This is a hard thing to do. But remember the infamous story from scripture. Everyone has been hearing Jesus talk about this stuff, teaching these things. The Sermon on the Mount has happened. All of these 
teachings of Christ have happened about kindness and generosity and compassion to neighbors. And finally, one man in the crowd plucks up the courage to say, Lord, who is my neighbor? You know, the guy knows that he's supposed to love his neighbor as himself, but he's wondering, you know, how do I satisfy this command? What's the tick box that I can be looking for here? <laughs> who do I have to love? In other words, maybe there's like this little group here that I have to love and, you know, I don't have to worry about the rest. You see the flaw in the question. Well, Jesus' response to that question, who is my neighbor, was to tell a story. I won't spend time telling the story because it's one of the most well-known from scripture, but he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? What basically corrects the question and the answer is effectively this. Don't ask, who is my neighbor? Rather, ask, who can I be a neighbor to? In other words, don't ask, who do I have to love? Instead, ask, who can I love? The answer is everyone. Again and again, this principle comes back to love, not law. In other words, Jesus keeps pulling the people away from just the tick boxes and putting us back towards love. We're so accustomed to determining the minimum obligations in any situation in order to get by, right? I mean, our taxes, does anybody pay more taxes than you have to? No, I don't think so. I mean, think about it in every aspect of life. Think about your time in school, you teachers, or like if you can remember being a student. Look, just give me the rubric for the paper and the word count, and then I'll let ChatGPT do the rest, right? <laughs> you know, I'm being kind of silly here, but the mindset comes so easily and it seeps into everything that we do. Like, I just wanna know the minimum I need to get by with here. Even in our relationships, even in our generosity. And this is what Jesus and Paul are kind of calling out in us. What if we begin to approach our days with the question, how can I maximize my opportunities to love others today? Specifically through generosity. That's a, that's, a, that's a unique mindset that many of us don't tend to carry right on the forefront throughout our days. Tim Clemens, pastor of Grace City Church, this is one of the contributors to the book that's referenced in your, uh, in your sermon notes there. But Tim Clemens says it like this. Well, this is going to look different for all of us, the answer to that question. What if I, uh, how can I maximize my opportunities to love others throughout the day? This is gonna look different for all of us, but as a general principle, it's going to be announced about renouncing self-interests and the pursuit of pleasure and success and seeking instead to be creative, creatively gen generous wherever we can. It means looking for opportunities to go out of our way to put others forward, to lift others up. What the Spirit of God does through the gospel of Jesus is to redirect our selfish, inwardly curved heart and turns it into a radically outward-facing heart. To love and to serve God as creator and savior, but also to love and to serve others as neighbors, as equal footing with ourselves. 
So what does that look like for us? How can we turn this into practicality? You know, we could spend all morning talking about this, but we'll kind of focus in on a few of these things. And these are things that I've kind of labeled as gifts of self. There's so many commodities that God has given to us, which we can share with others. Experiences, expertise, knowledge, care, comfort, hospitality. But perhaps most importantly, in a society that is so rushed and in some cases so hyperactive that one of the most valuable commodities that we have to share with others is unhurried time and attention. You know, you've all had the experience where you've maybe been on both sides of this coin. You've sat with someone over coffee or over a meal or even just at home or whatever. You're spending time together and you know, they're kind of shifting in their seat quite a bit. <laughs> you know, their eye contact is not so good. Maybe they're looking over your shoulder quite a bit. Perhaps even worse, they're like checking their phone or checking their watch during your time together. You know, the message is clear. You know, I've met my obligation, but I got somewhere else to be. I got to go. <laughs> like, how can we finish up here? It's a bummer. It's a bummer for both parties. And I get it because they probably do have somewhere else to be and you're, they're going to be 10 minutes late, right? You know, we've overbooked ourselves. We've created this condition in which we, we just don't have the time to be generous with one another. But then consider the moments that you've spent with someone else and you could tell they were there for you. There was no rush. The eye contact is steady the questions keep coming naturally. Perhaps there's even plenty of space and pauses in the conversation and it's comfortable. It's not uncomfortable. You know, the body language, all of those things let you know this person is here for you and there's nowhere else to be. What a gift it is to receive but also to give that kind of unhurried time and attention to others. My dad was, uh, had a long career, a successful career of being a manager in uh, lots of different organizations, but IBM, Lockheed Martin, those kind of things. He managed teams of people. And um, he had a little plaque on his desk that, that had, I, I think it was, I'm, I'm off my notes here, so I, I'm sorry. But I think it was um, Proverbs 3 something. And at one point I asked dad what that scripture was, what it was all about. And he, he paraphrased, he said, do not withhold good from others when it's in your power to give it. And he said, that's the secret of how I've been successful. In other words, like when you have, when you notice something in someone when they've done a good job, it'd be so easy to say, you did a great job on that. But so often we just don't take that time. Do not withhold good from others when it's in your power to give it. You know, the other day I was listening to a podcast and this episode was entitled Finn and the Bell. I'd recommend you look it up. Uh, this particular episode won at Peabody in 20. Uh, 2021 for excellence in storytelling, Finn and the Bell. And Finn and the Bell assembles um, 
this beautiful story, a portrait of this small Vermont town, this community grappling, gr grappling with the effects of a young man's suicide within the community. And, and that's, a hard, that's a hard subject. But the beauty of this episode lies in how the piece universalizes the feeling of loss and lament that we experience, whether it's suicide or whether it's any number of other things. And how this community so fiercely clung to hope in that season. You know, the folks interviewed in the podcast ranged from, you know, f school friends to teachers to coaches, community leaders, and of course, to Finn's family, especially his mom. And there were, you know, moments in listening to this where I was just hit with the overwhelming generosity that was being exhibited by being so open and honest with the emotions, with the grief, with the experience that they were having. It struck me so cleanly, keenly how gener generous it all was. Think about that idea of being generous with your experiences, with your stories, with your emotions, with one another. I get it, it's messy, it's inconvenient, it takes time. <laughs> We've all been in that situation where the conversation is just kind of steering its way, meandering this way, and an opportunity opens up for you to share your story that relates. A story that might be a little messy, a story that might take time to unfold. Perhaps it maybe even reveals in you a shortcoming or a weakness. It would be so much easier to just let that moment pass and not go there, right? To not take that time. But what if we took that chance to be generous with our experiences, our stories, and our emotions with one another? And you know what? All of this generosity of self, of time, and emotion, it, you know what it does? You know the vulnerability that it provides for us? Well, at some point, if we do this with one another, there will be a time in which misunderstanding steps in, or perhaps even genuine hurt takes place by something that we say or do. Perhaps unintentionally, perhaps not, but either way, it serves up the opportunity for us to be generous through forgiveness. We could, dis we could discuss forgiveness we could have a whole series on forgiveness. As a matter of fact, we've done that a couple times throughout our time together. Um, you know, but in this context, generosity and gifts of self, let us hear this encouragement from Colossians chapter three. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony.
Consider what a posture of bearing with one another looks like. When the inevitable, when the inevitable offenses come, what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with it? A couple years ago, I read a book with like the, the almost offensive title. The book was called Unoffendable. That's the name of the book. And in the book, author Brant Hansen lays out the idea, you know, that with some effort and with some shift of mind, and obviously with the Holy Spirit's help, we can find freedom from, the cultural, from a culture that lives in perpetual conflict and tension and offense that we can actually choose to not be so easily offended. It turns out that giving up your right to be offended can be one of the most freeing, healthy, and simplifying, simplifying, relaxing, refreshing, stress-relieving, encouraging things that we can do. You know, both for ourselves, but also for those closest to us. It's a radical idea. Perhaps we're not entitled to be offended and to get angry so often. But when offenses do take place, can we extend the generous gift of forgiveness to others just as we have received it from Christ? It's hard. It's not easy. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of like, uh, perhaps even saying, you know what, I was wrong, I'm sorry. And that's not something that's comfortable or common today. Bear with one another. And if anyone has complaint against the other, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must forgive. What better gift of self do we have to offer to others than the gift of forgiveness? Moving on in our gifts of self, this is going to take a little bit of a shift from the others. The others have been very touchy and feely, right? But consider generosity in your talents or your expertise. Have you ever felt that odd thing that happens when you start to become acquainted with a new group? Whether, maybe it's a community group that you have found out about that you start attending. Or maybe it, it's a new workplace uh, perhaps it's your new church. <laughs> and the last thing you want for these people to find out is that you're an accountant or you're a web developer or that you can fix cars or that you run a childcare or that you're a photographer or a journeyman electrician. The last thing you want is for these people to find out that you've got a, a skill, expertise or talent. You know, I can say this because I've been there too. In every job I've had in my life, it didn't take long before others quickly determined that I was the one who could fix or kind of figure stuff out. You know, especially when it came to, to you know, whether it was a computer program or a new camera, you know, kind of techie gadgety things. For some reason, I just had a knack for it. But you know what? I read the manual. <laughs> I read the manual and I learn how it works. You know, and for so long, it would frustrate me to no end that, you know, a coworker would have a task or be... You know, tick to do something. And rather than reading the manual, they'd come and ask me the question, you know, and I'd have to learn it for, I'd have to learn it and then tell them how to do it. Right. I see Tim back there smiling. I think you, I think Tim Mitchell has that same problem. You know, we become the go-to for other people in doing what we think they should figure out for themselves. 
You know, it's obvious to both of us that, you know, you have something the other person doesn't, whether they're not taking the time or maybe they just don't have the ability that we do. When you're really good at something, it can feel like, you know, you're just viewed for that thing. Like people just, people just use me because I'm good at fixing cars. They don't know me. I, I get that. You know, it can, it can feel like you're being taken advantage of. And that's really kind of sad and messy, especially in church when that happens. Or even worse, it makes you start to feel that people only see you for what you can offer, not for who you are. You know, it makes you feel like less of a person and simply it turns you into nothing more than a tool that others can use, right? You know, whether we feel this tension acutely or um, whether we're still kind of working it out as best we can, how might it open us up a bit to view our time, our expertise, our talents as something that we have abundance of? In other words, you know, it comes back to that scarcity mindset. Well, if I, if I tell you everything about it, like, you know, what if it runs out or I don't have time to do my own thing? What if we view that as, rather than something that's scarce and it's going to run out, but instead an abundant blessing that God has given us that runs wide and deep that we have reserves to pull on? You know, scripture paints this kind of idyllic picture of what generosity and a lot of forms took on in the early church in Acts chapter two, where it says all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in one another's homes for the Lord's supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. How might we begin to view our talents and expertise as another commodity that God has generously gifted us with so that we can bless others through those? You know, what if we begin to view our time, emotions, stories, experiences, expertise, all of it, and many other things that I haven't had time to talk about here. What if we begin to view those differently? You know, each of us with our money, many of us, at least in concept, we understand the idea of a budget. Some of us live by a budget, like word for word or dollar for dollar, penny for penny. Some of us maybe don't do, but we know we should. <laughs> you know, we budget. You know, we think about how much we have, how much we have to give, what our obligations are, and then what might be extra, and then we live within that. We do that with our money. But what about doing this with all of these other intangible commodities that God gives in our lives? God's provided us with so many things that we can pour out in generosity to others. But what is the whole reason for a budget in the first place? It recognizes that we may have access to an abundant God, but we might not have all the resources all in one place. 
And so therefore, we need to be careful with them. So even in these things I'm saying, I'm not saying that you have to live constantly open to everyone. You have to budget that. We have to budget our time. We have to budget the things that we do. And so that requires some intention on our part. How many of us look at the calendar of the week and ensure that, or work hard that maybe not every night is filled? That maybe we've got three or four nights where there's nothing on the calendar. So if somebody calls or texts and says, hey, got a minute, you can say, actually, I do. Where can I meet you? The best budgets always attempt to meet our obligations while leaving plenty of room for margin. Leviticus 23, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigner living among you. I am the Lord your God. You know, the call today is not to be foolish stewards of our time, emotions, stories, experiences, expertise, but rather to consider how we might partner with God in these precious gifts that he's given to us so that we can bless others, so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, God calls us in the gospel to abandon our lives to the service of others, to lay down our lives for one another as Christ laid down his life for us. Can we trust him? If we start living this way, can we trust him to provide the margin that we need, the emotional margin, the time margin? This is the Christian life. It's so much more than ticking the boxes, avoiding breaking the rules, keeping up appearances. It's a radically generous, big-hearted life that we were created to give and to live modeled on the character of the generous God who has invited us to his table, the God who made us in his image and who, know, who now makes us into this new life, this new way of being able to live in, in, in our own simple ways, perhaps in the ways of Christ through liberating those who are oppressed, fighting for justice, being a part of his mission, sacrificial love, all the things that Jesus taught us. So today, today, may we embrace a life of generosity in our gifts of self. Time, attention, experience, story, emotion, forgiveness, expertise, talent, the list goes on. May we find tangible ways to go out of our way, seeking opportunities to push someone else to the forefront, to lift someone else up, to honor someone with a kind word, to provide for others in their scarcity. May we be sure to retain margin in all areas of our lives, especially in our time and our resources, so that we may bless others when given the opportunity. May we be patient and attempt and attentive, patient and attentive to others, especially those closest to us. Because thinking of gifts of self, who tends to get the shortest end of the stick? Our spouse, our partners, our friends, our family. In other words, we, we tend to like 
be pretty open with others, but those that we're most comfortable with, sometimes they get the leftovers of whatever remains at the bottom of our empty tanks at the end of the day. May we truly see one another as the precious gifts that we are, pulling the best from one another as God has done for us. May we be people of abundant life and may generosity become our natural response thanks to the extravagantly, extravagantly generous God who loves us and cares for us and provides for us. Amen. Amen.